On that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. And he lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar he ran and fell down before him and crying out with a loud voice he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about two thousand, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the man who had, who had had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, The man who had been possessed with the demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, and but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Here ends the reading. Five forty three. So, continuing in Mark chapter five from verse twenty one. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, 
A great crowd gathered about him and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for twelve years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talita kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was twelve years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Morning everyone. Great to be with you this morning. We're working our way through Mark. If you're a visitor, welcome along. Uh, We're in Mark chapter 4, so keep your Bibles open there. And let's pray, shall we, as we come to God's Word. Gracious Father, we thank you that uh, you are our God and our King, that you're the Creator of everything. We thank you that you're in control. We thank you that you're a God who speaks and we thank you that your word is living and active. And so we pray this morning as we look at your word, the Bible, that you would speak again. Please change us, grow us, strengthen us, that we might know you, the true and living God who saves. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, here's a question for you. How do you fix the world? How do you fix the world's problems? See, our world's full of issues, of problems, 
And uh, whether you're a glass half empty kind of person or a glass, glass half full kind of person, you can't really escape the fact that the world is broken. There's natural disasters. I was uh, uh, on a website last week, it's called disasterreport.com and they list all the recent natural disasters and it's just amazing how many things are going on in our world. There's the recent earthquakes, there's recent flash floods, there's recent volcanoes and tropical cyclones and the list, the list go on and on. So our world is, has got natural disasters but that's not it is it, there's more. There's actually serious evil in the world, isn't there? I used to uh, visit a guy in prison and, uh, a few years ago and I'd have to walk, as he was in the medium security section, I'd have to walk past the, the maximum security section and occasionally some of the guys would eyeball me and, uh, whoa, some of those guys were scary. But evil's not just there, is it? It's out here too because it's in us. So there's natural disasters, there's evil, but it keeps going. There's sickness too, isn't there? So if you've visited a hospital, hospital recently, then you'll know that it, the, the world is, we're full of things that go wrong. There's sickness in the world. But that's not all, the ultimate one. And if you're thinking, well, you know, I don't face natural disasters, I don't face much evil, and I don't really get sick. Well, there's one thing you can't escape, isn't there? There's, it's death. You can't escape that. That's one thing you will face. So there's kind of four big things that uh, uh, summarise the problems of our world. And if you're visiting, you're thinking, whoa, this church is pretty full on. It's all about problems. Yes, it is. We've got to name the problem first before we come to the solution, don't we? And this morning in Mark's Gospel, we see the solution to the world's problems. Jesus confronts all the problems of this world. Everything that's wrong with the world confronts Jesus and Jesus confronts everything that's wrong with the world. And we see that Jesus deals with it all in the face of every kind of problem, a summary of every kind of problem in our world, Jesus stands strong. And the big question for us this morning is, who then is this? That's what the disciples ask. Who then is this Jesus who confronts and deals with all the problems of this world? So, four things we see uh, Jesus does. And we're going to rip through these and then work out what that means for us. Firstly, Jesus calms disasters. So, Jesus and his disciples get into a boat and they head out across the sea. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. Have a look at verse 37 there because chaos begins, doesn't it? A problem with this world hits Jesus in the form of a natural disaster. Verse 37, And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. And he was in the stern asleep on a cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Now, do you see what's going on here? The only place in the New Testament where we find Jesus asleep is in the middle of a hurricane. What is going on there? Jesus is asleep on the cushion. That is, it's the sailor's cushion where they had a little nap. He's asleep and the wind is blowing, the waves are going crazy. Do you see what's going on here? Jesus is in full control. 
He's in the middle of literally a hurricane. The water's filling the boat and veteran fishermen are saying, we're going to die. Remember that all these guys are actually seasoned fishermen? So they've seen a lot of uh, different problems on the water, right? But this storm specifically, they're going to Jesus, we're about to die. And Jesus is asleep. Chaos is rumbling around and Jesus is asleep because he's not phased, he's not scared of it, he's not mastered by it. Actually, he masters it, doesn't he? So now have a look what Jesus does. The storms are raging, water's filling the boat, old fishermen are saying they're going to die and Jesus does what? Verse 39, he woke, he rebuked the wind, said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was calm. See what he does? He speaks to wind and waves and they obey him. The words of Jesus bring chaos to order. Just a word, stop wind, stop waves and there's absolute control. Ultimate authority, all power over the natural world. This problem is dealt with with a word. And you see what the disciples do? They're afraid but now not of the storm, right? They were afraid of the storm. They just kind of transfer their, their fear to Jesus. They're afraid of Jesus. Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? For, verse 40, he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Jesus calms disasters. That's the first thing we see. Now, a few years ago, um, my kids and I were in a bit of a storm uh, down the beach and uh, we decided we'd test this out. So, we'd read this story, to be be honest, we had read this story in family Bible time that morning. And so, it was fresh in our minds and we thought, let's give this a go. So, little Katie stands up, the wind is just going nuts and the waves are crashing over uh, the beach and we're, on the, we're not in a boat so we're on the side of the water but we thought, you know, we could do it. So Katie gets up, stop wind, stop waves. Nothing happens. Little Sammy's a bit little, Lucy wasn't born at this stage. Sammy gets up, stop wind, stop waves. Nothing happens. Then Dad gets up, hey, of course Dad can do it. Stop wind, stop waves. Nothing happens. And then I asked my kids the question, why? Why doesn't it work? And obviously they gave the right answer, which was, we are not God, Daddy. Jesus is. Jesus calms storms. Secondly, he solves that problem. Jesus casts out demons. Beginning of chapter 5, they come to the other side of the sea. It's been quite an easy ride for the rest of the way because it's quite calm, obviously. And when Jesus steps out of the boat, we're told that immediately he is confronted by some more chaos. Immediately he's confronted by another problem, isn't he? It's not a storm of wind and waves this time, it's a storm of a person. A storm of a man immediately confronts Jesus. Have a look there from verse 2. When Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately... There met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. 
He lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often bound with chains and shackles, but he wrenched the chains apart. He broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day amongst the tombs he was always crying out, bruising himself with stones. Do you get the picture here? This is total depravity, isn't it? This is a man at his worst. He's uncontrollable. Not even the chains, the shackles are going to keep him. He's got an unclean spirit, the demons inside of him and he is unable to be controlled. There's crying, there's bruising, there's shackles, there's chains and what does that remind you of? It's brutal language, isn't it? But it should be describing an animal, a ferocious animal in a cage but it's describing a man this is the worst of humanity the bottom of the pit totally depraved and what happens when the demon possessed man sees Jesus what happens verse 6 when he saw Jesus from afar he ran to him fell down and cried out with a loud voice what are you going to do with me Jesus son of the most high God I adjure you by God do not torment me The man's possessed by a demon, but he offers no challenge to Jesus, does he? It's not, okay, Jesus, let's go for it. Jesus versus demon. Let's see who's going to win this. The demon, he just falls at his feet. He knows it's a done deal. There's no challenge, just a pleading for mercy. Please, swear to God you won't torture us. It's like me versus little Sammy. Easy beat until he grows up. So what does Jesus do? He sends the spirits, which we're told are, are called legion because there's many of them. You know, legion is like a soldiers. Right? He sends them into the pigs and they run down and they're drowned. And we're not told much more about the pigs because the pigs aren't the big deal. They're not what's important here. It's the human that's important. The redeemed human being compared to some pigs is much more important. So what happens to the man after the unclean spirits are cast out? Have a look there, verse 15. They came to Jesus, these are the people who have heard about what's happened. They come and see what's going on and they saw the demon possessed man who had the legion, had the evil spirits sitting there clothed and in his right mind and they were afraid. So what is he doing? He's sitting, that's very important Uh, Why is he sitting? Why are we told he's sitting? We'll come back to that in a minute. He's clothed, that's important too, good to wear clothes. And he's in his right mind. This is a restored, renewed, whole man again. Do you see what's happened? Again, words of Jesus have brought chaos to order. He speaks and chaos is restored. This man's problems are dealt with. See, when, I'm visiting those, when I was visiting that guy in prison, I'd walk past the maximum security part and there's huge tattoo guys doing their weights and there's little scrawny guys playing their cards. They were probably the more scary guys, to be honest. And I'd think, this isn't going to fix them. This is not going to work. Locking up evil does not work work. You can't lock it up, can you? Because it's bigger than that. It's not just out there. It's here. The problems of the world, they can't be fixed like that. You can't ignore it. 
You can't lock it up. You can't subdue it. You can't medicate it. So how do you get rid of evil? Well, Jesus does it. He deals with evil. Who is this who calms disasters, casts out demons and then thirdly cures diseases? Now we get to finish off this section. We get two stories and a bit of a sandwich and uh, Jesus crosses again to the other side of the sea. We're just ripping through these stories and then we're going to work out what it means for us. Jairus is the synagogue ruler. He's kind of the the head guy there who organises the Jewish synagogue. He sees Jesus and he falls at his feet. Again, another submission point, right? He wants Jesus to come and help, doesn't he? He's got a massive problem. Verse 23, have a look. He fell at his feet, implored, earnestly saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come, lay your hands on her so that you you may make her well and live. This is a daddy at his edge, isn't it? His little baby's going to die. What does he do? He sees Jesus. Yes, he can make her well again. And what happens? Jesus goes. The man's daughter is in critical condition. She's about to die. Jesus goes. But on the way, something else happens. A woman comes whose condition is also critical. She's suffered bleeding for a long time. She's spent all her money trying to get it sorted. She's gone to all the doctors and it doesn't get better. It gets worse. And she hears about Jesus and she does what only a disciple does. What does she do? Verse 27. She hears about Jesus. She comes to Jesus and she grabs Jesus. And she's immediately healed. Now we're not told much about what's going on in her head about how she trusts or what kind of faith, how much faith she's got. But we are told that the power of Jesus heals her immediately. She just touches him and she's healed. That's what a disciple does. Hears about Jesus, comes to Jesus and grabs him. But Jesus isn't happy just with handing out miracles, is he? He's not here to be a miracle worker. He actually wants her. He wants people. So he turns around. Did you notice? And he says, who was that? As if he doesn't know who it was. We've got God in human form here. He knows who it was. But he turns around. Why does he do that? Because he wants to encounter people just doesn't want to hand out healings willy-nilly. She's not going to get away with grabbing a healing and just ripping out of there. Jesus wants her. And so he searches out, who was that? And she comes, falls at his feet again, falling at the feet. And what does he say? Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. See what's happened again. Chaos has been restored to order this time in a woman, by the power of Jesus. Jesus calms disasters, chaos to order. Jesus casts out demons, chaos to order. Jesus cures diseases, chaos to order. And then finally the big one, Jesus conquers death, chaos to order again. This interruption of the woman, it's life-changing for her, right? But actually it costs the life of Jairus' daughter, doesn't it? One of the servants comes up straight away and goes, your daughter's died, took too long, don't worry about the teacher anymore. And Jesus overhears it and he says, do not fear, only have faith. Fear has been the first 
a response to Jesus, hasn't it? But he wants more than that. He doesn't want people to be afraid. He wants them to move towards trust, faith. And so what does he do? He goes off to Jairus' house. He finds everyone grieving in the way they always do, weeping and wailing. They did it loud in those times. We sometimes don't do it loud. We do it kind of internally. They did it loud. They were weeping and wailing. And then what happens? Verse 39, have a look there. He entered in and he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Why did they laugh? They knew she's dead. She's not sleeping. She's dead. That's why they laugh. What are you talking about? We know she's dead. There's no question that the girl is dead. But for Jesus, death is like sleeping. So he clears the room. He gets mum and dad in and the close disciples and he takes the little girl's hand and what does he say? Little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately she got up and began walking and they were immediately overcome with amazement. Do you see what's going on here again? The words of Jesus have brought order where there was chaos. Death is turned into life. The ultimate problem is reversed. So how do we do it? How do we deal with death? Well, we could ignore it. We can medicate it. We can exercise more. I was watching a TV show last week and this ad came on that I've seen before with that guy from House. I don't know if you've seen the guy from House. And he's advertising an anti-ageing cream. You know, the stuff, you, it's for the dudes, not for the girls as well, which is kind of strange. I don't need it because of my superior com- complexion. But you hide it with a little bit of growth. That's what you do. But it's supposed to stop wrinkles, right? And it got me thinking... Why do they call it anti-ageing cream? Why wouldn't they call it stop the wrinkle cream? Or get lines off your face cream? Do you know the reason? They're getting you right at your heart. You don't want to die. You don't want to get old, get wrinkly and die because wrinkles show that you are closer to death than you were when you didn't have wrinkles. None of us want to die. So what's the answer? Is it some cream on my face? Is it exercise? Is it some special tablets? Do we just ignore it? Just kind of get on with life? How do we deal with it? How do we solve the world's problems? We die. We get sick. We face evil. We face disasters. The world is full of problems. Where do you go? to get it fixed. And Jesus comes and he calms disasters. He casts out demons. He cures diseases and he conquers death. And do you see what God's telling us this morning? Well, it's not if you turn to Jesus, you're never going to face a storm. And it's not if you become a Christian, you're never going to get sick or face any evil of any kind or die. You'll face all those things. It's something bigger than that. This is the one that turns chaos into order. But there's more going on than that. Did you notice any parallels in here? We've got water, we've got a man, we've got a woman, and then we've got death. Hang on a second. 
The Bible starts like that, doesn't it? Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was out form and void and darkness was over the deep. The spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then Genesis 1.26, let us make man in our image, in our likeness and let him rule. So we've got water, we've got man. And then Genesis 2.20, there's no suitable helper found for the man so the God, uh, God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep and while he was sleeping he took the rib and closed it up with flesh and he brought the rib and uh, made the woman out of the rib and brought the woman to the man. Oh, we've got water, we've got man, we've got woman. And then what happens in Genesis 3? Well, humans turn away from God and death enters. Wow, we've got water, we've got man, we've got woman and then we've got death. Man, that sounds familiar. Hang on, we've just seen that in Mark, haven't we? We've seen water in chaos, we've seen a man in chaos, we've seen a woman in chaos and we've seen the chaos of death. And what's happened? It's all been reversed. Chaos of the water turns into order, the storm is calmed. The chaos of man turns into order, the man is actually sitting all the time in the Bible, when a man sits, when the sitting is ruling, hang on, Genesis 1 said that God created man to rule the world under his rule. That's a man restored. Chaos of the woman's turned to water, there's re-established community, she now starts talking to other people. The chaos of death, death is reversed to life. Oh, do you see what this is saying? Jesus is the recreator of all things. Genesis 1 to 3, we get uh, water, we get man, we get woman, we get death and things go out of whack when sin enters the world and everything goes out of whack and there's chaos but then Jesus, the God-man comes and Order is re-established. Water, man, woman, death, all brought from chaos to order because he is the recreator. And at the cross, Jesus does what he came to do, to die, doesn't he? And so the world that's broken with sin is reworked. Sin is dealt with. And man is recreated at the cross. Sin is dealt with for the man. And woman is recreated at the cross. Sin is dealt with. And death is reversed at the cross. Sin is dealt with. And we look forward to the time when Jesus says, I'm making everything new. Jesus is the recreator of all things. Okay, so what does that mean? Everything that's wrong with the world confronts Jesus and Jesus confronts everything that's wrong with the world and he recreates it. So what does that mean for us? If he is the one who brings chaos to order and recreates everything and everyone, first thing, you can't solve the world's problems. That's the first thing to see, isn't it? You can't solve the world's problems. Anti-ageing cream's not going to stop death. Medication is not going to stop sickness. 
Hiding in your lounge room, watching your big screen TV will not stop disaster. Ignoring it won't stop evil. We cannot solve the world's problems. Have you worked that out yet? No matter how clever you are, no matter how much money you have, no matter how many good things you do, you're not going to solve it. So see the reality. That's the first thing. You can't solve the world's problems. Secondly, there is someone who can fix everything. If this is true, then Jesus is the answer. He does recreate everything. Now, now he doesn't promise that you're not going to face any disasters. He doesn't promise that you're not going to get sick. He doesn't promise that you're not going to face evil of all sorts of kinds. And he doesn't promise that you won't die. What does he promise? You will live even after you die. Those who trust Jesus will be in a new creation. He recreates you and a new world with him forever. So if you're not yet Christian, those are probably the two for you. You can't solve the world's problems, but there is someone who can. What if you're Christian? You already kind of know that stuff. There's two more things. When you face the problems of the world, you can stand firm. When you face disaster, when you face sickness, when you face evil, when you face death, you can stand firm. Not because of anything of you, but because of Jesus. If you're a Christian, you've united yourself to the recreator of all things. When you trust Jesus, you don't just trust him, right? You are united to him in his death and his resurrection by faith. And so that actually means you are united to the recreator of all things. Do you see what that means? That's good, isn't it? So we will face all those problems with the world. They are the world we live in. But when we do, Christians face them differently. We have confidence in Jesus. Well, how do we do it? We stand firm in his word. We stand firm in talking to him. We stand firm with his people. There's no silver bullet. We stand firm in the Bible. We stand firm in prayer. We stand firm with God's people. See, Jesus is the recreator. So when we face problems... And we will face problems. We stand firm. And lastly, you have something far greater waiting for you. If you're a Christian, then yes, you live in a world, we all live in a world, with disasters and sickness and evil and death. But Jesus turns that on its head, doesn't he? So if you flick to the end of the Bible, you see in Revelation 21, that same Jesus, the same Jesus who calms the storms, who casts out demons, who cures diseases and conquers death, that same Jesus is sitting on a throne. And do you know what he says from the throne in Revelation 21? He says, behold, I'm making everything new. And what else does he say? Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man and he will dwell with them and there he will be their their God and they will be his people. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there shall be no more death. 
There shall be no more mourning or crying or pain anymore for the former things have passed away. That's the new creation. That's where the recreator takes you. He makes everything new. And if you're a Christian, if you trust Jesus, that's what you are waiting for. So when we face problems, we can stand firm. We have something far greater waiting for us. How do you think you can solve the problems of the world? How can we make things better? We can't. Jesus confronts the problems of the world and the problems of the world confront Jesus. He calms the disasters. He casts out demons. He uh, he cures diseases and he conquers death because he is the recreator of all things. Let me pray. Gracious Father, we thank you that you have sent Jesus, the recreator of all things, into the world. We praise you and thank you that he does calm disasters, cast out demons, cures diseases and conquers death because he is the recreator of all things. And at the cross we see that. So we praise you and thank you for who you are and what you've done for us and pray that we would be people who are not trying to solve the problems of the world but coming to the Saviour who has. In Jesus' name. Amen.